In anyone's great success story, there is always, there's always hard work, but there's mm. always luck. There's so many people trying to do the thing that we're trying to do. We are searching for these binary answers for everything, but everyone likes different things and that's okay. You just find your person that likes the similar things to you. If you need to talk about anything with your partner or with your friend, if you go in with an inquisitive mindset, go in with curiosity, you can't lose. Welcome to the Seize the Yay podcast. Busy and happy are not the same thing. We too rarely question what makes the heart sing. We work, then we rest, but rarely we play and often don't realise there's more than one way. So this is a platform to hear and explore the stories of those who found lives they adore. The good, bad and ugly, the best and worst day will bear all the facets of seizing your yay. I'm Sarah Davidson, or Spoonful of Sarah, a lawyer turned fun entrepreneur who swapped the suits and heels to co-found Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar. Seize the Yay is a series of conversations on finding a life you love and exploring the self-doubt, challenge, joy, and fulfillment along the way. Hope you're having a wonderful week, lovely neighborhood. And to those of you I've been lucky enough to meet in person on the Keep It Cleaner tour in Adelaide and Auckland over the past couple of weekends, you have absolutely made my year. It is always such a pleasure to meet neighborhood members out in the wild. We're heading to Perth this coming weekend for the final leg of Kick Tour this year. So hopefully I get to meet some more of you there. Please send me a DM if you're coming along. I don't want to miss any of you if any of you are going to be there. Speaking of travel, interstate, if anyone needs a little chuckle or a bit of extra yay this week, another random tidbit that happened in the past couple of days is I made one of my unhinged videos on social media, which you know I love to do, sharing what I think is the perfect analogy between Melbourne and Sydney, involving them being sisters, which A, went viral over the past couple of days, which is hilarious in itself, but B, sparked a comment conversation that was a thousand times funnier, like literally thousands of people weighing in on how they see Melbourne and Sydney or how they see all the other states and how they fit into the family tree of Australia. It's just so funny. It's better than Netflix. Just going through the comments is the best thing that's ever happened. So go and check that out if you need a laugh. But that is not my point for today. It's been a pretty busy time lately, obviously, but in the days that I was in Melbourne, I was lucky enough to catch the legendary Rob Mills to record an episode in celebration of his brand new book, Putting On a Show. I only got my advance copy about 24 hours beforehand, and I kind of thought I'd give it a quick once-over to prepare these questions, and then I'd go back and read it in more detail at a later time, but I could not put it down. I read the entire thing in depth in one go. It's such a fabulous and very much needed exploration of the average Aussie bloke, our shifting and sometimes distorted perceptions of masculinity with Rob's beautiful knack for storytelling and personal anecdotes weaved throughout. There is a reason this man has been so successful in showbiz. He is warm, witty, vulnerable, honest and open-minded, all of which comes through in the book. I'll let him tell you more about it himself, but we also get to cover the parts of his Parthier that you might not have heard as much about between the Australian Idol and Paris. Hilton-related headlines. You know I love getting into all the chapters we know much less about, and Rob was very obliging and a joy to listen to. I also definitely did that thing where I wanted to cover so much all at once. Perhaps I should have read the book not in quite so much detail beforehand so that I wouldn't have so many questions to ask in one episode. So I do probably jump around a bit crazily, but hopefully you enjoy nonetheless. Just a very quick content warning as well. We do touch on mental health and suicide briefly in the conversation, so listener discretion is advised. Melzi, 
Hi. Welcome to CCA. Thank you for having me. I've been watching from afar and it's delightful. There's a lot of yay in your world, a lot of yay lovely humans. I'm glad I'm now considered a, a yayer. Is a yayer? <laughs> Part of the yayberhood the, is how oh, we refer to the community. Like the yayberhood, I like that. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. You know I love a pun. I mm. can't walk past one, can't walk past an opportunity. It is such a privilege and pleasure to have you here. I've literally just spent the last 24 hours pouring over your brand new book. I got a copy I think 25 hours ago and I was like, I can't wait. I oh. need to and I haven't moved. I've thank, read the entire thing. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah, it was a couple of years of writing, researching, working together with Paul Connolly, who's just incredible. So many great conversations with him, back and forth with the editor towards the end as well, what to keep, what to throw out. He was amazing and instrumental in putting my all my thoughts and feelings together and yeah, just letting me feel like I'm in a safe space, I suppose, mm. and in order to, to let it all out. Well, I think what's so beautiful is the book itself and the way it's written and how much personal anecdote is interwoven with, you know, really important statistics and science and research is that you've created a safe space for other people, I think, in sharing your story so openly and vulnerably. I think you'll create a real safe space for people who otherwise maybe haven't had one before. So it's well, really, really yeah, beautiful. That's kind of the thing. That's the kind of the point of the book, but also kind of the point of life. Like we have horrible suicide rate in Australia, especially for men. So I wanted to go, well, all right, how do we, how do we get them to get to a place where they feel like they're not alone, they feel like they do belong, they can talk about this stuff. So I, if I held anything back, I didn't feel like I'm not walking the walk, you know, I'm not yeah. walking the talk. So yeah. I thought I'd better let let everything out there and be vulnerable and create enough space. It's kind of what you do when you're having a conversation with a mate. If you create the space to be vulnerable, have a vulnerable chat, then they feel like, all right, well, they've showed me something. Yeah. I'll show you something, you know. That's kind, of, yeah. that's kind of how it works. Seven minutes later, you're all in tears. Yeah, In yeah, the fetal yeah. position on the floor together. It's yeah, beautiful. It's great. Embra <laughs> embracing with your best mates. It's great. It's great. Well, I'm so excited to get into the book and particularly the fact that I think one of the most amazing parts of having a podcast is that this is so fresh for you. This is like 24 hours after you've seen your first copy. And I love yeah. that in a year's time, you'll be able to listen back to how nervous you were and all your first impressions about how it feels. But first, it would be remiss of me not to A, ask you the icebreaker, but B, just talk very quickly through a couple of the dots that had to connect for you to get here. Because I think people often walk into your life at this chapter, even the Australian Idol chapter, like big chapters of your life that are much more publicized and forget that like once upon a time there was a little Rob Mills who had no idea how it was going to work out, oh. if it was going to work out, which direction. There's an older young Mills who still thinks <laughs> he's got no idea what he's doing, <laughs> yeah. you know, more, more so now. NFI, man, idea. Yeah. no fucking idea. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but I think tracing through those sort of steps in the staircase is really reassuring for other people that now you may – have, you know, a lot of introspection, self-awareness and joy and fulfilment, but it doesn't always happen overnight. In fact, it never does. No, absolutely not. So very first question yep. to break through the ice, especially as an actor, TV host, singer, songwriter, it's pretty glam on the outside. Sure. What's something very down to earth about you? Like the most relatable. What would Tani say is the most relatable thing about you? I've got a weird habit. I have a toothpick um, <laughs> habit. In fact, how weird. I don't actually have one on me right now, but I always have one in the car door. It's like one of those little pickster things. No way. Yeah. I'm like a, just a straight one or like the actual dental things that have. Like the floss stick. The floss stick. Yeah. Floss stick. I'm, I love them. I'm obsessed with them. I found out a few years ago that they existed. You know, like with floss, you have to wrap it around your fingers. You're drooling on your hands, trying to put your fingers in your mouth and get yeah. through all the. 
Flostick, probably not very environmentally friendly, but they're, they're <laughs> definitely out. disposable and single use, but that's fine. Uh, single use? I'm, <laughs> oh, no. Mine's been the car for a while. <laughs> that's disgusting and amazing. Yeah, that's that's my thing. I love it. I can't go on stage if I haven't flossed. I can't do a gig, so I flossed before I got here. Wow. Like, yeah. yeah. So yeah. no gingivitis over there. None. No I've, gingivitis I've in your health, corner. <laughs> super healthy gums. Yeah, I love dental hygiene. I love this. That's <laughs> the best. That's definitely down to earth. Yeah. And strangely, Nick has recently got on the dental floss pick. That's how I knew what they were. Yeah. Bandwagon. And right. we were recently. I can't even remember where we were. Overseas. We're in mm. Italy. Don't don't tell me. You, a couple of I, weeks I, ago, I, I just I had know, to drop that into the conversation. I, know, I, I, I was watching your Instagram. And it's just yeah. Thank you. What a so lovely time. In Italy, he was like, I just. I can't, I didn't bring my floss sticks. Like, what am I going to do? So he went to a pharmacy and bought this hundred pack of floss sticks. <laughs> I've done that. I've done that. I've done that. I've done that on a night out with friends. They're like, what are you going to do with a hundred? I go, well, I just need one. I couldn't just and buy one. I need one. it right now. Yeah. It's not like a hundred. It's a, it's a hundred or nothing. I need one. I can't go zero. Yeah, it's yet, crazy. But you start handing about to people. They're like, oh, this is interesting. I think that's good because that's where a lot of your bad breath comes from. It is a hundred. It's, it's, it's from food that's stuck in hard to reach places. Yeah. So just guys get onto it. You won't regret it. I expect some DMs. It saying, is quite a game you. changer. Yeah, yeah, neighborhood. This is a challenge. Go and get a gentle floss stick and then report back to Millsy. Thank you. Yeah. We'll don't don't worry life. about the book. Just get just you might get find the some old stick. steak back there. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> Another really lovely down-to-earth thing about you that I need to mention, we've already kind of spoken about it quickly today, is you won't probably find, of all the things you'd find in your back teeth, it's probably not seafood mm. because you and Georgie don't really eat seafood. No, but this is how kind Millsy is. He found out that near his house a new restaurant, I think a friend had opened the restaurant yeah. and to be a beautiful supportive friend, and to be a lovely host who then invited us to experience this beautiful restaurant as well, he took us out for dinner and they don't eat seafood, but the entire <laughs> menu is only seafood. It was like, and I didn't realise this until like halfway through the dinner, you were like, yeah, we, we don't really eat seafood. And there's like a smorgasbord of the ocean on the yeah, table. It, was, it looked delicious <laughs> for That's you guys. That's the level of kindness <laughs> that is involved. What did you guys eat? Like chips? I had some polenta chips or something and I think there was some uh, bread some bread, so, that's some, some bread passed around. You yeah, know? Like it's a, a great meal. We like a snack. It was some lovely wine as well. So it was a, that's true. It was a Make great, the best I of a bad situation. I still had a great time. It's all about the conversation. It's all about the chat. Oh, but I mean, that's just a snippet of how kind and thoughtful and lovely you guys both are. So, yeah, I just felt like I had to bring that up and right it's, up and front. It's also hard to find a partner that doesn't like seafood. Very compatible. Yeah, very compatible. Yeah. Is that when you knew? When yeah. you're like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. it Our dining habits nothing. are compatible. That's all we need. <laughs> <That's it>. Tick. <laughs> you got to tick some of the boxes. That was like, that's all. I just need one. <laughs> oh, All right. You're way to yay. This is the bit where we kind of quickly go through your path, yay. And I feel like because you do have a public profile, a lot of this information is available elsewhere. And I want to spend most of the time on your book. But just quickly. Yeah, yeah. Did young Rob, playing Sunday sessions at Red Eagle Hotel in Albert Park, yep. ever think he would be an author? Absolutely not. <laughs> no, absolutely like absolutely no way. Young Rob was 18 singing at the Red Eagle Hotel, the Monash Hotel, Notting Hill Hotel, Anglers Tavern. They're not. Yeah, Breakers in Preston. Yeah, I was singing all across Melbourne in my little cover band, whether it was acoustic duo, trio kind of thing or we're in a full band as well. Cricket clubs and footy clubs. That was I never thought I would be writing books, absolutely not. <laughs> I just loved performing. 
I suppose, but I suppose it's it's not too far of a stretch. It's just storytelling, really, mm. when you think of it. Singing songs, even when I was singing covers as a kid, I was always trying to find the story. I didn't even think about it. I was just always trying to sing the, what the story was of the song. Right. So, you know, like, even if it's a pop song, there's still a story that goes with it, Boy Meets Girl or, like, yeah. Hardship or whatever whatever that the song is. I was always trying to sing the meaning of the song every time I sang it. That's so nice. Yeah, I just subconsciously or whatever, but... So maybe just always been a storyteller. That's the opposite of me. I was singing, I think back all the time to the lyrics that I used to sing when I was like 13. Oh, yeah. Not having any clue about the story or the meaning. Thank God I had no idea what I was singing because I'm like, my poor parents listening to me sing about like, oh, just horrible. What about the kids now singing a bit of whap, whap, whap (laughs) to their their parents? It's really wonderful, isn't it? Wet and gushy is is the new version. Hot. Yeah. Hot. Speaking of wet angle sheet, I yeah. hear that you <laughs> were first discovered for Mega Man by being overheard in a urinal. I mean, talk about things coming out of, you know, left of centre. Yeah. Opportunities w- landing in your lap. So the footy club, I played uh, <laughs> football. All I wanted to do as a kid was be a footballer. So I wanted to play AFL. I worked really hard. It turns out I wasn't very good. I wasn't good well, enough. That's a shame. Yeah. But, that's a real shame. But I was okay at singing and I was in the, the toilets one night. There was a band playing. <laughs> I was having a having a whiz at the urinal, and this guy said, heard me heard me singing, and he's like, "Nils, you're a pretty good singer." I'm like, "I'm alright." He's like, "My brother's in a band. Do you want to come down to rehearsal? They're looking for a singer." So I was like, "Yeah, sure." I've been discovered in a urinal. Yeah, mm. so I started doing that. My dad was a bit nervous that I'd be hanging out with older men in a you know in a <laughs> rehearsal room and stuff. So he drove me there and watched the rehearsal. And oh, he chaperoned. Yeah, you. I got chaperoned, even oh. though I had a, my license and a car. So okay, cute. <laughs> But yeah, so I, I did that for that was it three or four years with that with those guys, and then wow. then I did Australian Idol straight after that. Yeah. So one of the things I think is so interesting when you speak to anyone in kind of the creative industry who's a bit of who's an artist is that there are so many of us who begin in our younger years interested in music or performing, but it's very very rare. In fact, there's so much active dissuasion against going into a career in that industry because it's so competitive, because mm. it's it's not an obvious straightforward pathway. It can be so hard. So very few people actually end up being able to make it a career. And I had no idea until reading the book that you actually started an electrical apprenticeship yeah. of all things. Yeah. But then have been able to obviously make this your career. So I think the thing I like to hammer home to people is that most people have dabbled in a few different things, but that also even though there might be a hugely competitive industry or just a few places, like someone's got to make it. So how did you get through? Did you have any dissuasion or people being like, you know, that's going to be really hard for you or did you just know that this was for you and you tried electrical stuff and then were like, no. So my dad was always like, you should have a trade or have a job behind you just in case the music thing doesn't work out. Mm -hmm. Although I changed schools at the end of year 10 to do in year 11, sorry, to do drama and music. Turns out I got a D plus in my singing exam, so very much like dis- distinguished disabled. plus. Uh, that's, <laughs> no, not great. I got an E plus for my oral exam in music. Stop. Um, I dropped out of drama at the end of year eleven because I didn't think I was good enough, and I oh I gosh. felt like I I got really nervous and I didn't want to put myself out there in front of people acting mm-hmm. singing. I seemed to be fine, but for the exam, I didn't really work hard enough at all 
like on the songs that I had to learn for the syllabus. And I learned a really, val- really, really valuable lesson through high school that you actually have to work hard to get results. Like, Oh, wow, that sucks. Yeah, I didn't realize it's like that my, was a thing. My least favorite yeah. lesson in life. It's kind of like you only get out what you put in. So rude. Oh, horrible. And I just had no work ethic. I hated school, didn't really like it. Or not hated, but just didn't really like it. I yeah. just felt like you had to go. Then I loved doing electrical work. I did it as a work experience kind of thing. So I went and did a pre-apprenticeship. I got a electrical. I got a job. Then I found out I was terribly colorblind, which I sort of knew I was That's a bit colorblind. Right. Yeah. So, and your brother was colorblind. Yeah. Wow. He wanted to be a cadet in the air force and didn't get into that because he was colorblind. <gasps> yeah. After being at Melbourne High, he was super smart, and then just I don't know, was a bit dismayed. I think from not doing that, and then didn't really try much at high school. I think oh. I, I, was, I kind of did the same thing. It's like, eh, what's, what's the point? What am I doing? Yeah. Did heaps of jobs though after that, where there was mowing lawns at like disused mobile service stations. I put up signs at the airport, you know, the big <laughs> advertising banners. I did that yes. for a while. I was like, all my mates were tradies. So I, I just did landscaping work. I did carpentry work, plastering. Wow. Yeah. A bit of concreting. There's nothing that I haven't really, not, not one trade I haven't tried out. And then, yeah, I just kept singing on the weekends and the band was going pretty well. And a friend of mine said, do you want to try out for this TV show? Oh, so my that's, gosh. So I was always gigging, I suppose. You yeah, know? okay. And in, like in the background you were still doing it. Yeah, that was that was my thing. I was always gigging. But I was I was working like every day and then also working every weekend. So while everyone mm. was out partying, I just worked just wow. trying to save up, you know, save up for a house or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, real sensible goals. Yeah, I had. I just, I, honestly, that's, that's all I really wanted to do. I was like, oh. But what I was doing was not listening to myself at all during yeah. that time. I just put all my focus into work and did no self-reflecting for mm. 10, 15 years. Yeah, and that's like the exact underlying theme and philosophy is this show is that swapping that seize the day mentality, which is not a bad thing to work incredibly hard and have kind of financial metrics and goals or certain like linear goals for yourself. But when they're totally detached from your own fulfillment and the intersection of your talents and passions, yeah. like it doesn't really lead to a very happy life, even if on the outside it looks amazing. And I get really fascinated by the sliding doors moments in life that then sometimes give you an opportunity to be pulled out of that and back towards the thing that you really love. So, yeah. I, I mean, Australian Idol was such a pivot. Yeah, huge, huge. It just made me realise, oh, I really love this. And I didn't just love the performing aspect. I mean, going from singing 30 songs a night in a pub band to singing just one song or half a song really. It's like a minute and a half. It's like, oh, this is pretty good. But I, So I had so much more free time. Yeah. So I learned how the camera operators are working. I went and sat up in the desk uh, in the studio with the director and learned what they did and learned, like spoke to the producers about what they were kind of doing with each of us, like the character. We were wow. characters really. You know, we were the very first reality singing show since oh, Pop Stars. Oh, my Maybe. gosh. Oh, my God. You were the first season. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. <gasps> and I didn't do very well at Pop Stars. I also auditioned for that show. Were you? Did you really? <laughs> yeah, not for the first one, the second one. I think it became scandalous, if you remember. Pop Stars. What a throwback. Yeah. <gasps> I think I was 18 when I did that. So, yeah, so three years later, Australian Idol came around. It's crazy. I was always sort of trying for stuff but not quite mm. knowing how to do it very well. And then, <laughs> yeah, and then I sort of just learnt on on the job and then we we toured with a national tour. Then I, I wrote an album and then toured, toured, toured the album and then the record company dropped me and I was like, oh, I thought this is you just keep going up. You yeah. just, you just, I thought that was the trajectory. Smooth, smooth. Smooth, yeah, yeah. But then it was a full jump off the cliff, you know, the roller coaster has to go, come back down. Yeah. And now, now what? 
you know, your manager doesn't want you to sing in pubs anymore because that's what you used to do. Yeah. It's got to be something else for you to do. You're like, oh, I don't really know what else to do. I don't know how to write music really well. I don't really know how to do any of this stuff. And that's when I got into 2005 it was, a couple of years after Idol, I did Grease the Arena Spectacular. John Farnham, Magda Zivansky, Nat Bass, huge cast, incredible. And I met all these really wonderful musical theatre people, this incredible like work ethic, that work hard, party hard. I was like... I want them. I want to be friends with these guys. You know, I, I love. I had this party hard ethic, but I didn't have the work hard, and I wanted you know the, them to respect the me as the, I didn't have it. I didn't. I had the party bit, just not the work. Had bit. it down pat. Yeah. I was like, how do I become friends with these people? Well, you have to gain their respect to be their peers. So I sort of fell in love with musical theatre a bit, and Amazing. heard about this show called Wicked. So I went overseas and. I saw Wicked and We Will Rock You and Avenue Q, all these sort of new musicals that I was like, oh, it's not all Rodgers and Hammerstein. It's not all yeah. Andrew Lloyd Webber classical style yeah. singing. <laughs> yeah, this pop, is cool. There's pop and rock singing sort of stuff. I was like, I can I can do that. I saw Adam Garcia, Helen Dallimore, a couple of Aussies <gasps> in the show. I went, all right, if they can do it. You know, you've got to, it's that old age, you've got to see it to, to be it kind of thing. And it's like. That visibility of your dreams. Then. Yeah. Totally. I, so I vowed from that day that I would get into Wicked. So I came home from my drunken overseas backpacking trip. You know, I did four or five months of just traveling the world, spending all of my money. It was awesome. The best thing I've ever done. Yeah. <laughs> and then came home and worked really hard, like took singing lessons, acting lessons, dance lessons. I went, no, I've got to do this. This is the thing I'm, it's calling out for me. Yeah. This, this character, Fiero, dancing through life, this sort of jokey, kind of charismatic, cool guy. Not cool at all. I'm not cool. But like, We've established that. Who was, yeah. Who was <laughs> I'm like, kidding, I'm kidding. Who was like dancing through life. Like, I was like, that was me. I was dancing through life. And then he found the thing that was the most important thing that he'd ever seen in the show. It's Alphabet. But for me, it was musical theater. Yeah. I found the thing that gave me real purpose. And I was like, oh. So I got to relive that. Every single night that my own sort of personal story. journey, yeah, <gasps> within another story, yeah. And this is what I love so much is that when you're telling the story now, in order it all makes sense, like the fascination with different styles of music and storytelling and then going through Australian Idol and then learning all those skills and then getting a bit more confidence and then going actively after your dreams. But if you spoke to you back at any of those stages, it wouldn't have made sense what you were going to become and I think – Anyone who's in their earlier stages, it will eventually all make sense. It will eventually all make sense. But also even the great Robert Mills from Australian Idol doesn't walk into these opportunities either. No. Like I think it looks kind of smooth now, but you hadn't been in musical theatre. You didn't have an in, you didn't have a foot in the door, and you had to go and train as well. Yeah. So it's like one part life conspiring to help you get to where you need to go, but the other part is you going out and seizing that and grabbing it and kind of making it happen. Yeah. But I imagine there was like, a lot of that self-doubt, worthiness, imposter syndrome going on as well, not necessarily having come from musical theatre. Huge, huge amount. I remember my brother just saying, don't read the blogs. Uh, yeah, blogs. <laughs> don't read the reviews. Sorry, sorry, blogs were a big thing back in the early 2000s. Uh, Between newspapers and social media, there's yeah. a thing called blogs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah when I got asked, like, because I, I said to my manager, you need to get me this audition. And when I got cast, and they didn't want to see me in the beginning. Wow. So she had to push really hard to see me. I had four auditions over like three or four months with American creatives and I thought I just stuffed up the first audition and years like after I'd finished, got this audition, I found out that the director actually grabbed the picture after my audition and put it aside and went and then every audition she'd grab my picture and go, literally we're going to put the show around 
this guy. And she had no idea who I was, didn't know I was Australian Idol. Didn't no know. way. Yeah. I, I found out later. She didn't tell because I was still like doing all these auditions, freaking out every time. Yeah, thinking they hate you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you never, you always walk away being more critical of yourself than anyone else ever is, not realizing that like they'd s- singled you out as in a good pile, yeah. not the shit pile. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. that was not the, well, let's get rid of that guy. <laughs> he but, goes over there. But yeah, I, I, I didn't really believe in myself. So I would write down positive affirmation stuff. And I've never done, this is, I did it going into Idol. I wrote to get into the, I was in the top 40. I wrote down, I, I do believe that I can be the guy to be in the top 12. Like I was like, I do belong here. And then I did the same thing for Wicked. Every time before I went into the audition, I wrote down, I've done the work. I do deserve this. Yada, yada. Like I just wrote down some positive wow. before I went in. It was, and I'm not a believer in the secret or anything like that. But but that's manifesting. It's manif- you kind of you kind of did, yeah. did the secret, dude. I know manifesting kind of it kind of worked. Kind of worked. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> and it kind of does. I think manifesting is good as long as it's not diluted. Man, you still have yeah. to do, you still have to do the work. Yeah, yeah, as, yeah. as well, you can't just you can't go, just say it. And a million dollars in my bank account. Woo! Yeah, that doesn't happen. You still have to yeah do the work and to to manifest it properly. Yeah, and I think that And does- also there's an incredible amount of luck. I also have to point this out. Like there is so much luck involved in anyone's great success story. There is always there's always hard work, but there's mm-hmm. always luck. There's so many people trying to do the thing that we're trying to do. Yeah. And so much luck goes into it. But there is a thing my stepfather talked about years ago, and I don't talk about him a lot with much fondness, but I can still reflect on some good things. This is um, Phil. This is Phil. He said, the more I practiced, the luckier I got. <gasps> Yes, I love it's, that. It's good, isn't it? It's a good little bit. I also feel like you can see a lot of people be position themselves where luck is going to strike but then not convert it into anything. I think part of imposter syndrome and self-doubt, which is always a big conversation on the show, because everyone has it at every stage in their life. I got to run out. Is that yeah, yeah, and me too always <laughs> is that you attribute too much of your success to luck because it's easier to say I was just lucky. But I think mm. a lot of people get lucky situations or might have been in the same rooms as you or in the same situations and not used it. So it's not ever only luck. Luck will never get you all the way there and I think people forget how much of them Converting that like into something is part of the story as well. Yeah, and as I said before, like doing the work beforehand, like mm. all the experience of just doing gigs on stage at pubs or whatever or setting up the cables or chatting to the crew, like I know how much it means to put a big show together or all the things, all the elements and I think that helps when you walk into an audition as well. Like, yeah. like having done a bunch of stuff, you've got a bit more confidence within yourself because yeah. You also know what it's like to not do the gigs, especially yeah. the last couple of years. Every night that I'm on stage at the moment, I'm like, yeah, how good is this? They clap. It's the only job in the world. They clap. It's the only job in the world where you finish your shift and people go, very good. I feel like we should bring in just an applause general rule. Like someone says me a good breakfast. Yes, smashed avocado. It was applause worthy. Yes, I, thank yeah, you. I, I thought this like um, just, I wanted to call this thing like a – giving back kind of the gratitude kind of thing, but like a standing O. So what deserves a standing O? So like maybe it's someone at the, the register, doop, doop, 
just doing a great job putting yeah. them in the bags. You're like standing up. Or doing it to the beat, like yeah. creating a beat as she yeah. <laughs> scans it through. Yeah. Like, but yeah, if it's, good, if it's a good breakfast, I I will always like, thanks, chef. Like, yeah, cute. Give credit with Appreciation. Credit. Yeah, yeah. Give credit with credit, Stu. We call that appreciation. Oh, this is this good. Community. Yep. Yep. I'm, I'm taking that one as well. <laughs> well, you have obviously gone on to convert what I'm sure has been a lot of lucky circumstances to also a lot of incredible hard work, putting yourself out there and going through some ups and downs like I think people forget that the definition of an artist's journey is rejection like you are constantly facing rejection you don't have the stability of like one job for 20 years it it just doesn't work that way so there's so much hard stuff that goes on behind the scenes but there's also so many highlights like there are too many here to list you've gone from oh I might do musical theater to now being in hairspray which is why you're back in Melbourne which is so exciting but I think also I really want to use the rest of the episode on the book because it just is such an incredible, I think one of the things that's really beautiful is how much you've talked about storytelling and injecting what you've been going through in your life into the roles that you've played on stage. I feel like you've also done that in the book. It's come from the languishing that we all felt in COVID, the lockdowns, the losing the joy in Mm. most things, even for quite optimistic, bubbly, happy people. Yeah. And like sharing how you built that up, the introspection that it led to and the reflections on so much at the same time as you were actually experiencing it, I think makes it so powerful. So can you talk us through how you went from, okay, I've I've done the singing, I've done musical theatre, and now I'm gonna I'm gonna write. It came about after losing a couple of mates in twenty twenty to cancer. Fuck cancer for the Yeah, fuck cancer. <laughs> fuck cancer. Absolutely. <laughs> um for all those who've lost someone, it's horrible. And then during that time, especially, I don't know, I'm sure we've all been affected or know someone who was affected by not being able to get to the hospital to say goodbye, but not being able to go to the funeral to say goodbye or to grieve among your tribe was really difficult. So didn't get to any of those funerals because of lockdown and border closures and that was pretty, pretty shit. And then I found I didn't really process it well because I was just there with Tunny and Tunny is great. She is an excellent sounding board for stuff as we've talked about, but I... Caught up with mates and went back to drinking when the the doors were open again. You know, mm-hmm. we're allowed outside, and and then I was like, oh, I'm sad because alcohol is a depressant, and I haven't really <laughs> dealt with the, anything. The, yeah, I haven't <laughs> yeah. really dealt with the the fact that I haven't been working or mm-hmm. I haven't that I've lost a couple of friends or oh, this is not great. So I wrote about that that state of languishing and the sadness that comes with it, and also just putting a hand up saying, oh, I'm actually not doing so good at the moment. And people, a lot of people wrote back. I was like, that's really brave. And I was like, I don't think it's actually, I, I didn't see it as being brave. I just yeah. felt that's just how I felt. Yeah. And the publisher saw the article that went up in the age and City Morning Herald and said, would you be interested in writing a book about something, about something like, like this? And I, I was toying with the idea of a story or a show about identity in Australia, Australia's identity, how I think we're just in our youthful 20s at the moment as a yeah. country. Yeah. We're still trying to work, work shit out. We're still know? a bit bit drunk, a bit hungover yeah. on the weekend. Yeah, we don't quite. Yeah. We don't, it's got a bit going on in, yeah. our, in our brain. Hormones, yeah. so much. Just I totally agree. We're just partying. <laughs> we're just blowing everything up and digging things out of the ground and not really planning for the future. We live, we're in our 20s, right? Yeah, yeah. So we're going through this transitional phase. Anyway, I said, oh, that's too big. I said, look, all I can do is probably reflect on what I know about identity, about myself, and maybe it's like, what about we talk about the Aussie bloke? And that's how I see myself and a little bit 
different and weird because I like footy and I like musical theatre and I like actually that. How many of how many blokes like that? Actually, are there, are there more blokes like that, or are there more like tattooed blokes? That, <laughs> the like, meat and three vegetables. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Southern Cross tattoo wearing blokes that I, I don't really hang out with or don't really know, but they they also exist. So, what is it to be an Aussie man, and what is masculinity? Is it always toxic, and how much are we reflecting or self reflecting? How much? How many other blokes are actually doing this or want to do this, but just don't know how? Mm. And I was like, I don't really know. So let's find out. So I asked a bunch of experts, and that's how it sort of came about. It was just going to be a series of sort of interviews. I don't know whether that was going to be a podcast, but then I thought, I think for me, I I like the book. I like the the way that you can reflect during a book. You can put it down and just have a moment. We're so caught up in binging everything on Netflix yeah. and like it just starts without you even. Yeah. I don't even know what happened in the last episode. You <laughs> started the next one. You're like, oh, cool, cool, cool. So I, I kind of like the idea of the book is is a time to self reflect. Mm. They're really good, as is a podcast as well. But like, there's something about the pages. Maybe you want to write some stuff in them, or you can do all that sort of stuff as well. Or I, I nearly, nearly at the end of every chapter just wrote, stop, <laughs> just think. <laughs> Yeah, do some notes. Just I did that too. Look, I've got dot points for yeah, each chapter. Think for five. Just think for five minutes. Think for two minutes. Yeah. About how you feel about that bit. Does that resonate with you at all, or does it not resonate with you? I think we just don't stop enough to do that. Yeah. I also think one of the things with, particularly with quite heavy or shocking statistics that really need their impact, really needs to land on you for the impact of the rest of the conversation around it to go in, is seeing it written down. There's something about that. There's something about reading your vulnerability like talking about it is one thing but knowing that you have committed a lot of stories to paper it's so permanent as well I don't know there's something a lot more powerful I find in if you did a podcast series it would be amazing but you couldn't take that with you anywhere or you couldn't like yeah yeah, scribble all over it or I don't know hold it with you when you were having a moment like my parents were with like like why are you sharing all these stories (laughs) I don't know Uh, I don't know really (laughs) because it's important to be able to share this stuff so then other people feel like they can share their stuff. Yeah. That's how I felt. And they're like, yeah. why are you sharing this? Like, my mum's like, oh, I've been, have I been a bad mum? I'm like, no, if you read to the end, mum, you'll see that I really love our relationship now. Like, yeah. like, I am the man I am today because of these things. Yeah. And I'm a good guy. Yeah. I'm a great I'm a great guy. You um, are a great my, guy. My, and also my brother's good, good humans, you know. Yeah. You've, you've raised really good humans because of all these things. So my dad's like, oh, I don't know if you, I don't know why you put that thing about your mother. I was like. It's it's my it's, it's just, my story. It's my story. Yeah, anyway. yeah, totally. You've got everyone has their own version of events. Everyone has their own story going on all the time. Like you and I, even now, right, mm. sitting here, we have our own dialogue going on. But mm. you're thinking something different. You're looking at my left eye, and then yeah. my right eye. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> I actually wasn't doing it just there, and now I remembered that I do that. Oh, no. <laughs> oh man! Well, I love that it started as a real investigation into sort of what's going on behind the bravado of the average Aussie bloke. Like there's so much bravado. There's like, I love you described it as the Tony Lockett that plugger cross with a little bit less attractive version of Hugh Jackman. Like that's who we all envision, (laughs) which it is. Like there's something so endearing about the Aussie bloke, the meat and three veg, the like there's just this beautiful picture that we resonate with a lot. But investigating whether that is actually who the majority of Australian males are, I think that was amazing as a starting question because I think it's something we don't talk about that much but then realizing and uncovering through a lot of research that there is a bit of a distorted perception of masculinity going Mm. on and that perpetuating that is creating a lot of 
problem. I mentioned to you before, every year on Men's Health Week, we do an episode looking at the concept of masculinity and how it's changing and how men's mental health does need its own area because it's a very different conversation to what is going on in the female landscape. And Dr. Zach Seidler, we've had him on as well, and he's mentioned a lot throughout the book that we're in the teething stages of something. Something's changing. Yeah. We're all not really sure what to do with it. I love that Jamila Rizvi is also, she's also been on the show and she's amazing, a dear friend who I admire a lot, how women and the female perspective of masculinity and what we're expecting and the space we're creating is also really important. There's just so many elements of it. But can you talk to us a little bit about what the current understanding of masculinity is, where you see the problems, and also as someone who has very comfortably been able to do the footy sport manly thing and be in musical theatre. Are you saying it's not very manly? And doing theater? all the things that are less manly, <laughs> less traditionally Thank you. Thank you. manly and how that's sort of, yeah, playing out for you and why you think it's so important to write about. I would have you know that music, that singing and dancing has been very manly for a very, for many, many very years. Very manly. Yeah. Also ballet. Like yeah. talk about a good physique. Oh, great. Male ballet dancers. Oof. Harry Garside does ballet and Harry also Garside. punches holes in people. Absolutely. He was on this show a couple of weeks ago and I was like, this eight-pack thing, that's very masculine, very masculine. He's someone who is definitely breaking down the stigma of mental health and blokes and what it is to be a man. I really like him. would love to have him on the in the book, but there was I already had so many, <laughs> so many people. But he was definitely on the list, hoping to get a copy to him as well. I think... There's a hangover from our grandfathers and and, and fathers, this mm. sort of stoical bloke who doesn't talk about things, who goes to work, comes home, is raising the kids 20, 30 minutes a week. Mm. Like the wife does all <laughs> the, the- low touch method. <laughs> yeah. The wife does most of the, the nurturing and that sort of stuff. He does the disciplinary stuff. And that has shifted over time, like definitely over time. I'm, I'm talking about more of our grandfather's era. And I'm generalizing as well. There were, I'm sure there were grandfathers and blokes that weren't necessarily doing that as well. Majority of the people. And there's a the, the sort of um, stick your chin out and don't cry, mm. um, don't talk about your feelings. And that happened for a long time because boys don't cry. You don't want to be a wuss. You don't want to be a sissy. Mm. And the same goes for girls. You don't want to be too brave because you don't want to be too bossy mm. instead of like, oh, no, they're just being assertive. In the corporate world, so difficult to navigate that fine line yeah. between masculinity and femininity. For every every gender has trouble, I think, with that yeah. balance. And uh, Jamila talks about that a lot as well. So I think we are shifting. The, 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 the shift is happening, but all these shifts take time and we're expected to not only be the, the breadwinner, the blokey, the oh, we'll push you out of the way in case something heavy is coming. You know, like mm. I will stop a fight because I have to stop this fight from hurting the people around me that I love to also being able to talk about it later and holding your partner or being held by your partner. Like there's there's so many things that blokes are expected to do now and I think that is confusing for a lot of blokes and they just don't know how to put their hand up and say, I just don't know what you want. Mm. And for a lot of women, it's just creating that space safe space for your partner or and I'm talking about cis relationships heterosexual cis relationships at the moment with any kind of partner that you have open that space open that door for them to walk in throughout the 60s and 70s we were the women's rights movement was was moving across the world and women were moving into more masculine kind of or male dominated areas which is fantastic because of the quality of crisis of course mm. this is the best thing to happen mm. but possibly those traditional female spaces 
weren't being opened up to, to men or they didn't know that they could walk into those spaces. Mm. Or how to do or it. How to, or how to do it. Yeah. So I, I always say, and I talked to M. Rashiana about this and Jamila and my friend Michelle Brazier, like maybe women, I don't know this, is the, this is the hardest thing to say without being cancelled <laughs> right now, but like <laughs> we're not very good at it. Give us a hand. Yeah. Like I know it's going to be like to take the high ground. You're like. We have been trying so hard, Rob, for years <laughs> to just be equal. Yeah. And now you want our help? Like, yeah, just to th- like, yeah. Yeah. Because that's that's how it works. That's how the world works. Like mm. to get what you need, you have to help help others. You have to be a bit more altruistic and not expect a lot back from it. But you will get so much back from it. Mm. Just open that door to the conversation. There are also a lot of women in cis, uh, cis relationships that are like, I love my man just being the breadwinner. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. And I feel that almost those women feel a lot of pressure to- To be otherwise. To be otherwise. Yeah, because they're giving up their feminism c- correct, or something. Correct, yeah. But like if that's what, what you like, then that's what you like and mm. that's also okay as well. There's a massive spectrum. There is no black and white. Mm. so much gray area. We sit in the grays a lot. I think we're searching for these binary answers for everything, but everyone likes different things and that's okay. You just find your person that likes the similar things to you. Mm. Um, that's that, that's what I think is the most important thing is to open up the dialogue, have the conversation with your partner and with your friends about what it is that you like. Start with a Myers Briggs yeah. personality test. <laughs> yeah, at yeah. The, at the very least. Yeah. Am I introverted or extroverted? Yeah. I think it is so interesting because it is a time of massive flux and change in like every area of society, but particularly in the gender roles. And there are increasing situations that we've just never encountered before. It's not very often that like women are out earning their male partners in cis relationships often and that's new and that changes the dynamic. And then there's a a lot that you talk about with the unpaid work in a family that women have traditionally borne a huge load of. Men haven't but are now but aren't really equipped for it. And then the biggest problem is without men's circles and a lot of men being what you refer to as man children. Oh, yeah, the man children. Who who just haven't (laughs) – like women do so much development through conversations, through – through women's circles, through just ventilating things with their friends and realising and making revelations and all that stuff. And because of that traditional, stereotypical, stoic male, men are bottling everything and then it comes out in... Rage. In rage. You have a big chapter on anger, a big chapter on suicide, but also behaviours like going to alcoholism and drugs for escapism because it's like, what do I do with all these feelings? And I think... Again, because of the stoicism, even once you are feeling that, men are not talking about it and then are not getting the help they need to know what to do about it. And it's, 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 they a, feel weak. Yeah. It's yep. a very difficult time, but everyone needs to be part of the conversation to redefine that masculinity. Yeah. Because I, I, absolutely, like, men need to open up more and men need to have a bit more, be okay with having those conversations. And also, whether it's a, a female friend or a male friend or non gendered friend, just to have the conversation or create the space for men, you have to build the trust. For a lot of women, I'm going to generalize here, you will have these conversations all the time, like you said, and you're having these revelations. We're not doing that. Like I talk about the book, like come home from chatting with like with my mates. You go to the pub and you've had a day maybe on the punt at the pub and then you get home, oh, how's so-and-so? How's his wife doing? How are the kids? I don't know. I, we didn't talk about yeah. that. We I laughed so hard at that bit where George is like, how's he How's he going? How's his wife? And you're like, I don't know. I don't know. What did you talk about, dude? We, we just talked about like gags and everything else. We didn't, didn't really talk about it. 
but it's okay to, to we definitely need that space you need that banter you need the the place to go and have those chats but also you just need to uh have the deeper meaning more meaningful chats to the side uh, gus wallen talks about he likes the idea of 95 percent banter five percent real chat i would like I it to be like more like that. 10 to 15 percent. i know i'm like that's very intense <laughs> that's very intense it's five percent chat i'm like oh i'd probably like a bit more like for, for blokes but look bit more banter little bit yeah uh, just a little bit more real chat. I would really. Oh like. wait, so wasn't it ninety five percent real chat? No, ninety five percent real chat. Oh yeah, no, we want a little bit more than that. Yeah, I thought it was the other way around. I was like, whoa. No, he wants not like ninety five percent banter, five percent real chat. Because talking also about all your feelings and emotions, it's exhausting. We get compassion fatigue. It's like mm. watching the news twenty four seven. You're just constantly giving out empathy to mm. all the sad things that are happening. If you're constantly doing that to your friends, like that's that's exhausting. Yeah. I always feel sad, like for my psychologist or for my psychotherapist, sorry, for Paul, who I talk about in the book, who's amazing. Um, like, are you okay? Like, yeah. like everyone's, no, but are off, you? everyone's offloading all this yeah. stuff on you. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, I've got, he's, he's got his partner and he's got someone else he talks to. But like, I always feel like, oh, are you doing okay? Like, <laughs> is everyone offloading all this stuff? I feel like it's like um, John Coffey, like healing, you know, like you're taking all this stuff and you've got to release it somewhere. And it's then you're just like, like <gasps> <laughs> purge it out into the world, yeah. I purge it out through tears, yeah. So this is one of the things I did want to ask you. In your sort of journey, there's there's a lot of anecdotes from your own exploration of the spectrum of masculinity. And one thing I love, this is where your sense of humour comes in, that I love that it's like a lot of serious stuff but also the lightness of your sense of humour is saying things like most men would feel more comfortable disposing of a body than admitting they needed help. Which yeah. is funny, but also very, very true. Like, I feel like it's yeah. funny until you realize actually, probably no. That'd be, you say, like, come and let's dig someone up. They'd be like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, mate. I've, got, I've, I've killed someone accidentally. Can, yeah. You need to, I'll da, be there. Da, I'll be there. Yeah. Deep chat? No, absolutely, absolutely not. not. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. Like, that, that is often the, the bloke because I think there's, there's a few things that happen. There's, we don't want to burden our mate with mm. it because we know he's already got other stuff going on. Mm. That's what the best thing about it is going to see a psych because then you can just offload to someone and else. And you don't feel guilty. You like, I've guilty. paid you to be here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so it's good. It's a good service. Win-win situation. It's like a rub down from the physio. It's the same, same. Yeah. It's the same, same. But it's a rub down of your brain. Um, that is exactly what it is. Yeah. It's a rub down of your brain. It is a rub down. <laughs> and you're like, oh. Rub down of my brain. Oh, feels so good. I feel so good now. Yeah. So we don't want to be a burden on our others. Also, there's also the thing of being judged by our mates. Yeah. There's the shame yeah. that I've felt this way or that I've done something. So I don't want to tell someone because then they'll feel they'll think less of me. And yeah. this goes for across the board. This is not just men. But we hold on to our shame. We hold on to our grief, our trauma. We don't want to talk about it yeah, because we don't want to burden and we also don't want to be judged by it. Mm. And that's not good. And that's what I'm saying. Create those safe spaces so you can have those chats with your mate because I guarantee you're not alone. A good amount of time is uh, the good amount of the time that other person is definitely thinking the same thing that you have been thinking. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So one of the things I want to ask, and I don't want to give away too much from the book because I, I think everyone needs to go and read it. It is so beautifully powerful in sharing some of the the seriously worrying statistics really in the male landscape of mental health in particular and possible steps towards how we can fix the pressure to be a certain type of masculinity but also weaving in your stories and I think a couple of times where it seems like that shame or that confusion have really kind of rattled you in your own relationship with your masculinity and yourself has been one was a series of panic attacks when you were at like the height of Australian Idol so it looked like the dream life on the outside but was actually a big panic disorder moment which I've had a, quite a few times and they're so crippling and debilitating but would love to hear about that. Yeah. 
The other one was, <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to, to spill this tea yeah, that's in the book, that you had a threesome with Courtney Act, which I think is amazing. Yeah. Did not know this and was just pouring over that chapter like, what? There's a lot of penises going on. There's so much <laughs> happening. But also that kind of exploration of your sexuality and what that means for masculinity and then the labelling around that. And then also how much, there was a whole chapter almost on the average penis size and yeah. and libido and sex life and why are all those things markers of masculinity but talking about your feelings isn't? Like, I don't get it. Either do I and that's why I wanted to explore it all. Like, I'll go back to the start. So the first one is the panic attacks when I was doing Idol. Luckily for me, doing the work with therapy with the therapist over the last few years like really constantly has been really good for that. But I haven't really had any massive panic attacks probably since then. Wow. Um, yeah, I was really lucky to address it sort of soon after. I mean, I know in the book, I definitely talk about I put it in a box, but I dressed it by putting it in a box. <laughs> and I just want to deal with it. Yeah. yeah Tight, yeah. wrapped up, yeah, all yeah. Yep, so with a good padlock on the box. So when I say I addressed it, I definitely addressed it, but like put it in a box. But I didn't, now I know what it is. I think it, when it first happened, I didn't know what it was at all. Mm. And it was terrifying. And yeah, the moment of running to that sliding door at the hotel and just slamming it shut and not jumping off the balcony was really, even thinking about it now, luckily for me, I, I just was like, what are you, why, why, why is that thought even in your brain? Mm. Like, wow, okay. It was just the thought of like, you could end it all now. You don't have to feel this way. You don't have to feel scared. You don't have to feel like mm. everyone wants a piece of you. And this is, you don't have to feel that way. You could just end it. I was like, oh, cool. No, uh, no, thank Oh, maybe, or maybe like, you know, like, yeah. And that yeah. all happens in, sp- in the space of a split second. Like that all happens like in a space of a split second and your heart is racing. And luckily for me, I, I just slammed that door and called my brother and just said, oh, hey, man. <laughs> hey, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. He's like, hey, oh, yeah, good dad. Yeah, had a really good day at Indy. <laughs> had a really good time with Levi. We just got, got some drinks. We're just back at the hotel now. Just chilling, just having pre- a good time. I just pretended that yeah. I hadn't felt all those crazy feelings once again for fear of judgment or yeah. shame or whatever or didn't want to burden him, didn't want him to think that I was, you know, not feeling great. Yeah. And then the the sexy stuff, uh, <laughs> it's kind of like I've never thought, like even through high school, I was attracted to people, to girls, to boys, I think, and not really knowing how to explore it. And then I met Courtney during Idol. I was mm. like, he's this beautiful creature, so confident and sexy and and then, you know, we had a fairly big night out. <laughs> we did all the things, um, <laughs> drinking and drugs. And back in the day, you know, I was a bit of a party, party, bit of a party kid. No. Oh yeah, I was a bit of a party kid. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I totally yeah, yeah, I, was, I, I did. I did a lot. Uh, <laughs> not so much. We did some things. We did some things. Not anymore. I'm old now. And that sort of ended up in this kind of body on body on body. <laughs> and I remember going, well, this is this is interesting. I remember waking up the next day going. Okay, that was different. Cool. I'll give that a go. And I've given it a go several times throughout my, my life, which Georgie knows about. And yeah, I'm glad she knows because this would have been yeah, a yeah. great time for her to and find out the first time in the yeah, book. Yeah. Um, par- <laughs> party pashes, you know, gay clubs and just, yeah, having, living my best life and just having a good time. Mm. And then, yeah, that's, that's kind of like how I always looked at it. And then I was always, I felt, a weird shame or a weird guilt about it or like mm. didn't know, know how to talk about it. And then I was like, what are you doing, mate? Who cares? Yeah, no like one, who no even one, gives a shit? No one cares. Yeah. Do you like this person? Do you like – and I – yeah, I honestly have never really – I don't worry I don't worry about it anymore. Mm. 
yeah. It, but for a long time, I was like, oh, what am I doing? What is this feeling? What is this guilt? And I think a lot of men feel that way. And they're like, oh, I shouldn't feel this way about a bloke or about someone else that I care about. You can also care about them. There's one thing I sort of worked out is I was using sex to connect with people. Yeah. And using sex to connect with men, with with women. Yeah. Because I thought that's how you connected. It's like a vehicle to something that you could have got another way and you didn't know. Instead of like actually just having a conversation and having a chat, I used sexual acts or whatever. Like I was like, oh. You're an idiot. You could have just <laughs> had a conversation <laughs> and realized, you know. Conversation, th- orgy. Conversation, orgy. Like, yeah. you know, same. I think, <laughs> but I think a lot of people do that throughout their teens and, totally. and 20s instead of like, oh, I didn't have to get rid of that because you don't know. Your hormones are racing. Like, this is, this is what you're meant to do. Like, this is the funnest. <laughs> yeah. And but, yeah, I think you sort of just not grow out not grow out of it. It's, that's, not, that's not what I'm saying, but I think you – realize there are other ways to connect with people. And I mm. think I was definitely craving a male connection and it was a friendship. I think leaving high school, leaving mates behind, yeah. not really knowing my place and sort of left the band and then I had a female manager. Like yeah. my brother was off making babies and having kids and my other, like both of my brothers. So I was like I didn't really have my tribe, my circle of of blokes. Mm. And since, you know, since all that that happened over the over the years, the last sort of 15 years, I've I've curated really good blokes around me mm. as like a good, yeah, understanding friendships and blokes that I know I can go for a walk and talk about anything with. It's super important to have those those relationships, the ones that you can not just gamble with and do stupid stuff, but also that you can have proper conversation with. So, yeah, that was the, that's the sexy stuff. There was another question. What was the other? There was one more. Or the main, th- yeah, the, the final question was kind of linked into, you've actually led to it really nicely, was the idea that you've obviously had, in yourself a lot of like different interpretations of what masculinity meant and it's tied in with different parts of your identity at different times even in your sex life like trying to figure out what that means but that over time now you seem a lot more comfortable with where you are and knowing that you can be manly but you also don't need to like fit into all those things we were talking about kind of why the markers of a big penis of sportiness of tattoos like why are all those things still quite present as markers of masculinity i think there can be if that's what your partner is into or that's mm. what you're into the most important thing this is i talked to georgia grace she's a uh, sex therapist she's also a podcaster she is incredible she just talked about breaking down the the gender stereotypes in the bedroom so like mm. to say that you are the blokey bloke or the tradie guy or whatever and you get home maybe you want to be dominated by your partner that's also I okay i loved that chapter you know? Even how gays with the submissive and the dominant like have issues with who takes on the masculine role based on traditional markers of masculinity. Yeah. So, so interesting. The idea is just have the conversation and maybe it's different in the bedroom compared to what you're doing outside the bedroom or wherever you're having sex. It could be in the, <laughs> the, the kitchen, the bathroom, or the car, yeah. whatever. You know. But it's okay to explore, to try new things. Mm. It doesn't mean that you're less masculine or it just – means that maybe you want to be dominated or you want to dominate like even for the for for a woman it's okay to want these things and i talk about the 50 shades of gray there's a reason why that's the most popular book right mm. has to be yeah if all these women are reading this going i want to get strangled i want to get yeah. choked out and then there's a whole group women of- are conflicted they're like i'm a feminist but like delish confusing but you can be both you yeah can, so why can't you be why can't totally. it be a, why can't it be a safe space but yeah also blokes don't beat women but also Strangle me in the bedroom. But do that, but do, yeah. But yeah. With consent and it's safely, con- and yeah, 
but absolutely. It, but don't expect it, and don't expect blokes to work it out. Like if it's, yeah. there's one thing that I've worked out is we're not going to work it out. Yeah, you're not going to figure it out all on your own. <laughs> on our, yeah, we're just yeah. not going to because we, we're having these chats with our mates. We come home, we've not we've talked about nothing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think the book is just a really beautiful adventure through the different themes and challenges, but also things that have really helped you in the landscape of masculinity today as an Australian guy. And I think one of the really big things I like is how much help you actually give people in like things they can try. Like when they are feeling a bit of shame, is it that we need better role models? Is it that we need, like it's interesting in the chapter that you had no male role models in your life, that's when you started looking for that connection in, albeit in things that didn't, in your sex life that didn't end up being where you needed it. But how much help you offer? So if you if you wanted anyone to take something out of this book, who is reading this right now, oh. or or a few key okay. things, like yeah. what I often think, my goal in life is to leave a conversation for that person to feel better than they did when I came into it. Yeah, that's What's good. your goal for the book? When someone picks it up versus when they put it down, what are the main things you want them to leave with? Men and women, but particularly men who are maybe a bit earlier on in their journey of masculinity and exploring that. Self-reflect. Like think about stuff, think about how you feel about certain topics, Mm -hmm. think about how you feel about your partner, think about how you feel about yourself. Get to know yourself more. Make time for yourself, Mm -hmm. whether that's journaling or I know that sounds a bit hippie and stuff, but it does really work. Go for walks with your mate or go for drives with your partner. Like we are saying before, not having the direct eye contact the whole way through is really calming and easy to you find yourself having better, better, deeper conversations. Long walks, like two hours, yeah, minimum two hours, yeah. Because once you get through all the small stuff, you've got nothing else to talk about. So you have to go into the deep stuff. Yeah. <gasps> so that's that's a really good one. Yeah, self reflect, get aware, aware of your surroundings, your, the people around you, who are your tribe, who are the people that are bringing you most joy, who are the people that are probably not bringing you any joy as mm. well. Um, yeah, good one. You know, like yeah. It's okay for your, like I feel like people come into your life for a reason, a season, and a lifetime, and it's okay if they come in and then fade out in different chapters because you're a different person. There's a great, there's a great, there's a great thing my psych said to me a couple of years ago to say that you are, I mean, everyone at the moment is the center of their own universe, which is infuriating, <laughs> but like, okay, let's go with that analogy though, that you are the sun and you get to control, let's say your friends or your friendship groups or your family are the planets, but you get to control their orbit. So some of them are like some of your f- close friends are around Venus, you know, they're around Mercury. They're really close to the sun and the earth, you know, and they're constantly there all the time. But sometimes they're like Pluto. So then they come around at birthdays and Christmas and then they're gone again. Like you get to control yeah. how close you The cycle. Yeah. Your this planet. is so Isn't weird that-, that you just said that because I always talk about this when people are like, how do you manage your energy? I'm like, there are just X amount of people in your life and they're all on different cycles and the Difficult thing sometimes is when someone's on a two-week cycle and you need them to be on a six-week cycle. Yeah. So you just have to push them out. It sounds terrible, but I'm like, that's how you project your energy. Yeah. Never thought about it as planets though. I'm like, yeah. some people are like Alpha Centauri, like 10 million miles away. I'm like pushing you out to another galaxy. Yeah. Yeah. And some people are like, yeah. Mercury, oh, that's Earth, just a beautiful, yeah. way more beautiful way of saying it. He's very good. Paul McNiff guy. Check him out. He's very yeah. good. <laughs> well, Millsy, congratulations. I, I just want to like, talk about every single chapter and every single sentence because it's packed full of such important reflections. I really think for on a personal level for individuals reading it, but also for people thinking about society as a whole, I think there there's a lot for men at the moment to deal with. There is so much flux and so much change and it's a real like handbook 
I think. Oh, I don't. Like, I, I've deliberately said this is not a self-help book. But no, 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 handbook, like oh, a guidebook. Thank you. I, or, or like a, a companion, yeah. shall we say. A companion, if you will. Yeah, and you can read it. You don't have to read it from front to back. There mm. are different chapters for different things, which I think is good. But also just remember, we're getting there. Mm. Social change takes time. Mm. Any change in humans takes time. Just don't be so outraged. It's go in with, if you need to talk about anything with your partner or with your friend, if you go in with an inquisitive mindset, Going with curiosity, you can't lose. You just cannot lose. If you're going with attacking with a why a vengeful, yeah. why are you doing this? Like if you're going with a curious, inquisitive mindset, you cannot go wrong. Totally. <gasps> well, thank you no, so much. Thank you. I have one question to finish up with, which I bookend every episode with. Yep. Because you know I love quotes and I speak exclusively in quote. What's your favorite quote? <laughs> oh, look, there's my favorite quote. Oh, that's really tough. Okay. I will paraphrase. It's about it's an Ira Glass quote that I love. I love Ira Glass. I love that you listen to this American Life. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. <gasps> Me it's too. Changed my life. So he talks about people that are creative have this taste, and they get into the pursuit of creative things because their taste is so good. They love these creative, awesome things that they see, whether it's film or movies or TV or whatever it is. But in the very beginning, your actual skill level is crap. It's so, but your taste is really good. Yeah. But your actual ability to do the thing, whether it's guitar playing or singing or podcasting, whatever it is, it's not good. But in order to get to there to where your taste is, you've got to do the work. Yes. It's the only way. And a lot of people forget that and they just drop off. So they they become critics or they become disenfranchised with mm. with art and itself and they, they feel like they're not not happy. As, as I'm paraphrasing Hicks. The, yeah. the whole idea of it is bridge the gap. Do the work so that, so that your ability becomes as good as your taste. Oh, I love that so much. Milzy, thank you so much. Where can we get our copies of Putting on a Show, everyone? I want to say at all your favorite bookstores, it'll be out. Um, Do you even know where it's going to be out? Yeah. <laughs> Did you ask me this the other day? I go, I don't hear that now. Yeah, yeah, somewhere. But where books live. A lot of people have been texting me pictures of them buying it on Amazon. So. <gasps> So that's been pretty okay. cute. So All Amazon right. and bookstores and you can buy it online. And also there's an audio book coming next week <gasps> as well. I know. Oh I do, I had to read out everyone else's quotes. I'm like, oh, I'm nowhere near as good as how they said it. I was going to say, reading some of your own like really vulnerable bits would have been awkward uh, turtle. Was you, it just you, orcs? You can hear the, the frog in the throat for sure. Yeah, amazing. There's some amazing photos in here as well. The Paris Hilton era, which I on purpose didn't mention because I feel like every article about oh. you ever mentions it, but- had to had to be done in the chapter, but had there's to some, be done. There's far there's far more compelling and interesting stories, I think, in the Absolutely. in the book than that. Absolutely, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Isn't Rob just the loveliest? <laughs> if it didn't come across and I didn't rave about it enough, his new book is truly such a valuable contribution to the conversation about masculinity and how we need to redefine some of our outdated definitions of the concept. And I will pop a link in the show notes so you can grab a copy for yourselves. As always, please show him some good old neighborhood love by sharing the episode, tagging at Rob Millsy Mills and us so we can show our gratitude to him and also keep growing the neighborhood as far and wide as possible. I hope you are all having an amazing week and are seizing your yay.